Hey everyone, this is Paul Kingsbury. Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast, where we provide fresh perspectives to help you become a more sturdy, versatile, incredible leader and manager. Engage with us online at cutlassleadership.com and like and follow my Facebook page. And send me your questions and topic suggestions to cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Enjoy this episode. All right, welcome to this edition of the Cutlass Podcast. Uh, in the Chief Petty Officer's Creed, it charges new chiefs and tells them that you are now required to be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as technical applications. Ask the chief is a household word in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief. So I've talked about a lot and I value having strong bases of expert and personal power because these two power bases more than any others demonstrate the competence and character of the individual and garner credibility. And this credibility sets the foundation for trust, which in turn creates a positive environment that enhances the ability to influence others in a meaningful and effective way. Over time, sailors have come to learn to ask the chief because of the legacy left by strong bases of expert, personal, information, and connection power. They expect that chiefs have technical, institutional, and life experience and couple that with a base of character that makes them approachable for help and advice. And although officers have similar power, the chief's experience as a deck plate sailor provides them a perspective and connection to sailors that most officers cannot enjoy. The chief petty officer mess guiding principles of technical and institutional expertise and character demonstrate that our Navy has always demanded and will continue to demand well-developed bases of expert and personal power from its chief petty officers. So joining me today to discuss this concept and these topics a little bit further is retired Fleet Mass Chief Raymond Kemp. He entered the U.S. Navy in 1986 as a then data processing technician. And over his three-plus decades career of service, he served in a variety of sea duty assignments and shore, including USS Independence, U.S. Abraham Lincoln, Staff Commander Amphibious Group 1, USS Kearsarge, and the Naval Security Station Washington, D.C., he was selected into the Command Master Chief program in 2009, and his Command Master Chief tours included USS Mason, USS Harry S. Truman, the Navy Inspector General's Office, and culminated with his selection and service as the U.S. Naval Forces Europe and U.S. Naval Forces Africa Fleet Master Chief. Throughout his career, he's completed combat deployments in support of Operation Desert Storm, Operation Restore Hope, Operation Southern Watch, Continue Hope, Sea Angel 2, Iraqi freedom, and enduring freedom. After retiring from the Navy, Raymond established Kemp Solutions with the goal of helping shape expectations of workplace dignity and respect by focusing on four attributes, attitude, belief, character, and discipline, which result in people treating one another with fairness and equity. He's a contributing writer to Vivid Magazine with his Kemp Effect series. So Raymond, welcome to the Cutlass Podcast. How's everything going? It's going really, really well. And, and Paul, I'd just like to tell you, it's a pleasure to uh, be with you again, uh, even as we have both crossed the uh, blue line after leaving the base and living this retired life. I'm really, really proud of how things have been going for you there at USNI uh, and uh, honored. I'm really, really honored to be on the show with you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again for joining me. So, so you've, you know, on active duty, you heard me talk about this often, this concept of personal and expert power and the importance of those. 
you know, and I and I see it in your bio. So I want to get into that with you. You bring a great perspective to this. So let's start with this concept of personal power. What does personal power and a personal power base mean to you? Kind of what does it quote unquote look like? And how do frontline leaders develop it in themselves and their teams? Yeah, so I, I'd say that the foundation strong personal power base is, you know, just five, five really strong things. Um, and, and you mentioned them before is really something I, I stand really, really firm um, in alignment with attitude, belief, character, discipline, and excellence. And so you've heard me say, and, and it is very commonly said that attitude determines your aptitude, you know, yep. um, that if you believe you can achieve, uh, and with those two things, with the right measure of character, uh, stick-to-itiveness and the discipline and the standard of excellence, and that foundation uh, is something that will uh, shore up your personal power. Now, from my perspective, personal power is, uh, it's not necessarily a dictionary you know, definition for personal power. Just again, from my perspective, it's more of a person's uh, state of mind than it is an attempt to maneuver or control other people. So right. um, some might describe personal power as a personality, uh, a measure of charisma, uh, a measure of uh, self-discipline that others would seek to uh, emulate uh, and draw from. It's the ability to influence people in such a way, perhaps even inspire people in such a way without even directly pushing your energy towards them, but just the way you carry yourself. Uh, and that oftentimes is way more uh, influential than you know any rank that a person might be wearing or a, a posture that they might stand within. And when it comes down to developing and, and maintaining you know, those things, it is a self-assessment that must be done very regularly. You know, are you adhering to your own you know, personal values? Uh, are you uh, ensuring that you're treating people, you know, with the measure of uh, fairness and equity? Uh, and then the responsibility uh, in that position of authority, at no matter what rank level, no matter what position level, uh, is to encourage other people to do the same by your consistency. So this concept of character, you know, sometimes I've heard it, you know, forging character, that clearly starts at home, what your parents sure. model, the value and belief systems they instill in you, and hopefully those are good coming into an organization. They may not be. So what role does an organization have in establishing and connecting its value and belief system? For example, in the Navy, honor, courage, and commitment. How important is it for the frontline leader to instill, and what role do they play instilling that value and belief system into the teams that they uh, lead? Sure. So it's very important, uh, much the same as the various different militaries from boot camp and basic training and still those core values, which are very standard. Uh, it's important for organizations to do the same thing through their onboarding process. Uh, and the frontline leader's responsibility is that as that person comes into um, their work center, into their division, or into uh, the work environment where their responsibilities are, are covered technically, it's their responsibility to ensure that, first of all, that they understand uh, what those values are uh, and that they exhibit those values um, through everything that they do in the workplace. Uh, and so as a frontline leader who is just bringing in and just let's just stay with the Navy model, you're bringing in some person who is made, making their way through the sailorization process, you know, going from a civilian to becoming a sailor and embracing those values and hopefully taking those values and having them just imbued in those sailors when they come on board. 
you will, you will talk about honor, courage, and commitment more often than you would, you know, with the senior person because you're still looking to ensure that they're placed in there. And then in the counseling portion, whether it be professional development or through you know, evaluations, you reemphasize the importance uh, of those values. And organizationally speaking, as I work with my fair share of civilians now, uh, reminding them that what those core values are and what those mission, the mission set is and the vision is for the company, it's important that people who are just coming into that organization are really familiar with that so that they can live it out and it becomes part of their power base as well. Okay. So let's talk about attributes, right? So when you look at a person, if you were going to say a, you know, a person of character, what are the attributes and the things that leader would do and say that would make you as a follower think they were a person of character? First and foremost, their their word would be something that they are bound to. Uh, and so whether it be uh, in celebration or in admonishment, they are saying what they mean and they are meaning what they say. Uh, and the way that that is displayed is through consistency. Um, and, and so if I take what I look at as consistency and what I encourage other people to look at as consistency, it's also known as equity. Uh, so equity and equality are not the same thing. Equity means absolutely without question, putting people in the same, um, on the same starting line and beginning at the same time and encouraging them all the same. Uh, and so honesty, uh, treating people with the measure of equity and the consistency in the way you treat people. Those are those are the things that I would value uh, and uh, see as a, a strength in their personal values uh, and a strength of character. Okay. You've heard this mantra before about being a firm but fair leader. What's your thoughts on that as how it lines to your personal power base? The interesting thing about that, be a firm but fair leader, is that when you are consistent and you are operating with the measure of character, then people do not mind being admonished. People do not yep. mind um, being you know, held to account uh, for the things that they do well as well as the things that they need to work on. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a firm believer, if I may, in the uh, firm but fair, uh, firm and fair, not but. Yeah, we're not doing it in spite of firm and fair leadership. Yeah, and I talk about the difference between you know leaders can get in a position where they lead from a position of wanting to be liked or wanting to be respected, and when you get into this concept of wanting to be liked, I think there's a risk of sacrificing some of your personal power. Has have you seen that? Absolutely, very often, especially with young leaders, and I say young not necessarily based on birthdays, but based on how long they've been in leadership. Yes. they find themselves there in in that quagmire very often. You know, they're they want to be friendly, they want to be liked, they want to be cool, they want their crew to be saying, "Oh, this guy's lit," whatever the case may be. I think the most important thing uh, is the consistency because you can be likable. Uh, have a high measure of character and that strong personal base that we talked about before with those uh, attributes, you know, excellence, discipline, and character, um, and still, you know, be influential. Because in, in the, the most important thing from my perspective as a leader is that we are able to impact the hearts and minds of those people that we are leading to the point that they'll be better people. And the better people that they are, then the more effort that they will exert towards the mission set that sit before them. Okay. All right, let's shift over real fast to expert power base because once again, the expert power base and the personal power base together, right? The theory says when I have those two, I develop credibility and with credibility, I have trust. And then with trust, my people feel comfortable. I'm a person, a leader who knows 
what they're talking about, and who is approachable to come for guidance and advice when it's needed. So let's talk about expert power a bit. Uh, what does high expert power look like to you, and how is it developed? Uh, well, high expert power is, is really kind of simple. It is the, the breadth of experience that a person has with regard to their area of responsibility. So if you're a mechanic in an engine space, then you're familiar with the inner workings of uh, that gear and you have uh, a high level of proficiency when it comes down to operating the gear. Um, that expert power is further developed by um, the, you know, the, uh, there's three qualities that I think that inherent amongst successful people. Uh, and, th and those are, uh, they have a lifestyle of learning, they have a lifestyle of fitness or wellness, and they treat people with dignity and respect. So that expert power is further developed in that lifestyle of learning, always seeking to do things more efficiently uh, and do them more effectively without taking shortcuts back to the character. Okay. Yeah, I've always thought, to your point, right, it's, you know, this expert power is built over a lifetime, right? So it starts building right. from the time you're taught to walk and fundamental you know, get around kind of things all the way through the school system, right? You're, you're developing knowledge and, it, you know, contributing mm -hmm. your expert power base about general concepts of life. But then you get into a career field, you go to college and you start to really narrow that set of expert power towards a job per se, you know, a skill set that you can apply. With that skill set, you're not often introduced to a profession as well. So as, you know, you and I served in the broader profession of arms, so we had to be knowledgeable of military culture, military customs, values, and beliefs, but also Navy values, customs, and beliefs, and all that stuff, frankly, that went with being in the Navy, all the administrative stuff, the right. you know, human resource policies and processes. So that's a part of it, too. And then the third component, I think, is, is just life experience, right, over time. And I think people got to pause on, you know, there's a reason why... You know, we typically want you simmering in the pot of experience for a while because it's not just learning your rating or learning about your organization. It's also getting those life experiences that can help you be a better decision maker. What do you think? Absolutely. Because the, 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 the experiences in life uh, are, are what lend to that personal power that allows people to um, have that measure of uh, trust that you described. Um, so because when, when I know that you have been through a, an experience similar to what I'm going through, then I'm more likely, you know, to reach out and ask you uh, for help because feedback is super important as well. Uh, so when you're, when you have that expert power base professionally and you weave in those life experiences, um, then the likelihood that someone is going to, uh, to ask your question, you know, back to the, your point earlier about being approachable, that's, that's extremely important for people who have those two strong power bases. Yeah. And, uh, so it's not just credibility as a person and your ability to influence, right? So that's the leadership part, I think, of the credibility. But there's also the credibility as a manager, right? Where you have to exactly. make decisions on process mm -hmm. and things. This factors in, right, your experience and your character. When people are selecting you for these roles or positions as a manager, yeah, you're going to have to make decisions. And the only way they can evaluate your potential to do that is based on your expert power and your demonstrated personal power. And I, I think that's why that's captured in resumes and personal interviews through that process. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so another point I want to make is, you know, we often talk about this from the perspective of the individual, right? So I would call the frontline leader down there leading a team, direct level leadership. Let's take it up to the organizational strategic level. So organizations also have character and competence, right? Your organizational reputation 
is shaped by you know your organizational competence and character, but it's vested in different people now. So what's been your experience with the command level helping shape organizational reputation with competence and character? Even the largest uh, organization, even in, while we were in uh, serving with uh, Admiral Fogo and Admiral Howard over in Europe and Africa, our intention was to ensure that the team was as proficient technically sound uh, as possible, as well as having strong personal character. So what does that mean? I'm talking about when sailors were underway on board ships and they're being flown on by SU-22 in the Black Sea, um, standing that watch with a high level of proficiency. When George Herbert Walker Books is in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean, the Levant area, just lobbing, you know, um, weapons and armament into uh, Syria and into the bad guys, they did it with a high level of proficiency and the same with many, many other ships. But what I was also, and the accountability was there as well for character and performance on liberty. And so having that measure of balance was very, very important. A way that we did that was when any time a ship entered into the operating area, then we sent out a letter with expect a message in one format. And then I would send out a personal letter to each of the uh, command master chiefs or the six fleet command master chief would send out a letter and I would add on to it. Um, that talked about what our standards and our expectations were when it came down to operating uh, ashore on liberty and then the proficiencies out at sea. And then it's not just a matter of, hey, go do this. Let me give you these tools as well. So we gave them access to the tools for uh, maintaining um, that personal confidence at sea. The examples of various different uh, training programs that have gone by, um, that have been uh, completed by ships that served before them. Um, when it comes down to character, and we had chaplains that we made available uh, and various other resources that could be found through the Red Cross, through the USO, uh, and we made all of those things uh, available and re-familiarized those uh, command master chiefs and leadership teams out there for uh, the resources that were available to them in the event they find them, found themselves in some measure of a crisis. And so whether it was uh, the uh, operational stress controls uh, and many other tools that, that we would offer to them. So um, when it comes down to developing organizational leadership, the, I think the most important thing is to set the standard and the expectation of what that may be, and then make sure that that leadership group has uh, the tools um, in place to help support that uh, increase in professional competency and uh, personal character. Uh, and then the last thing I would offer with these two power bases, another way they're represented when you get into the higher level of warfare and other areas, right? It's often captured as capability and your intent, right? So your capability is your competence to conduct warfare or leverage a certain set of power bases. And then your intent is kind of the evaluation of your character and what you plan to do. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. The, um, because that warfighting capability is is all of the you know the work that's done before folks come into uh, the operational area and then the the execution of that the reason that leadership teams have a lawyer you know near them is to ensure that their uh, intent is absolutely clear yep. uh, and that they're operating within those guidelines so left and right lateral limits are very important yeah and at that level right your staff becomes you know yeah you have a commander or you have a chief executive officer or what have you but 
they really rely on the expertise that they've hired within the organization to help them make decisions and shape that organizational reputation and uh, capability. So, um, so these two power bases, as it, you know, back to the individual level, um, it's my belief that we own the strength of them, right? The organization may invest in, in your development. They get, may give some training, education, some indoctrination into value and belief systems. But to keep that growing, you've got to invest in personal growth and self-study to invest in that expert power base. And then as you go along, you you acquire experiences. So that all strengthens the expert power base. And if you don't do those things, it erodes and you can risk becoming irrelevant in your field or dangerous, frankly. And then same thing with personal power, right? I have to invest in my personal power. I have to pause from time to time. Um, how I use my other power bases, right? So how I use my reward power or how I use coercive power, how I use information power, all those things, if you misuse those power bases and the influence tactics, you erode out that personal and that expert power base and then your credibility starts taking a hit. So I want the listeners to really think about that. But let's get into how you protect these power bases. Uh, you and I discussed this once on a video we did together, but what are your thoughts and advice on routines or continuous learning you know, leaders can use to protect these two power bases? I think you and I agree that readers, that leaders are readers. So there are many uh, tools that can be found, you know, in books that have been written um, that will allow us to have an experience without having to have the experience. Uh, and so when it comes down to, you know, techniques and ways to, to lead and to express your competence uh, and to valid uh, to verify your very own you know character. Um, I always recommend that there's certainly a, been a book written about it, and so let's use something that has been done in the past to help in our very own uh, self-assessment. One thing for frontline leaders, I have an expectation of, and I hope that others, you know, the listeners will do the same, is that you know you, when you think about the what standing principles, right? Um, a questioning attitude and level of knowledge is super important. And so a way, and, and I think it's important that we talk to frontline leaders and say a way that you can ensure that you maintain the uh, professional competencies within your workspace and within your sphere of influence is asking level of knowledge questions and being willing to ask and perhaps even sometimes create an uncomfortable situation, uh, uncomfortable environment with the person if they don't understand. Because I've asked the person a question, walked into, uh, was approaching a ship one day, uh, I stopped at the entry control point and I asked the person standing there uh, with the weapon, just some basic questions about the weapon that they were holding. Uh, and, and they did not know the answer. And I could see that they were becoming very uncomfortable with that. And so that's when, you know, the, the personal power kind of kicks in and you kind of soothe their discomfort with your own um, professional competence and say, okay, well, here's the effective range of that weapon. Here's how fast you should uh, environment here, uh, fire it. Um, here are, you know, deadly intent. You know, here's the, 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 uh, the deadly force triangle. Here are the things that have to be met before, you know, you use your weapons and so on and so forth. Right. And that's a way, just one example, but a way for a frontline leader to ensure that the competency uh, within their workplace is solid and to validate that and then yeah. to encourage that questioning those level of knowledge questions back and forth amongst the team um, that sets the standard within the workplace it also uh, encourages an increase uh, in competency as well and in those conversations um, that of course leads to the opportunity to to speak on other things as well so as a leader you're talking to your people about finances you're talking to them about domestic violence suicide prevention those types of things as well yeah uh, and it also makes you Stay up on your own expert power, right? If you're going to challenge, no, and, 
you know, especially <laughs> if a new technology comes in. I, one of those tactics for expert power, you know, you can't know it all all the time, right? Things are changing, policies right. are changing, technology is changing. But when something comes in and a change comes in, one thing is to huddle the team and learn about it together, right? So it's not to just challenge them, but go, hey, I didn't know about this, but let's have a discussion about this new thing. What are your concerns? Here's what I understand. Uh, I think that's a powerful way to keep your expert power base built and demonstrate it to your people. Absolutely. You know, the synergy works, you know, up and down the chain of command to the left and right. And so when there's an environment where when you create that we, not me environment, then that that is what allows uh, exactly what you're describing to uh, take place. There's a synergy, you know, that's built there and we all bring something to the table. Um, you know, we were mentioning earlier uh, this book, High Velocity Edge. One of the things in there is the ability to that when we're talking about fast learning organizations, it's common um, to say that they they can do four things really, really well. They see, they solve, they share and they provide feedback. That feedback mechanism is super important, and it works really well when you have the a strong power base that we're discussing here. Yeah, and it and this is where those two power bases blend. The personal power blends with the expert power, and that concept of humility, right? That I demonstrate right. that I have some experience. I've got extra power. You recognize that as the follower or the workforce. You probably respect that, but at the same time, I want you to see that I am a proponent of continuous learning, and that our team can learn together. Through that, we all become stronger. So not only does the expert power increase, now you reinforce your personal power base with that approach. Right. Yeah, that lifestyle of learning, you know, when uh, a leader, and from my perspective, that's super duper important when it comes down to the personal power. Uh, and when a leader is exuding that, when they're showing that to their team, vulnerable enough to show that they're showing that to, uh, to express that to their team, then everyone can take on that, uh, that challenge to continuously learn. So when it gets to the personal power, right, this is where you get in the ethical dilemmas and challenges, right? So we talked about before. <laughs> You know, you get in these leadership positions as you move up, a, a couple things happen, right? Number one, you get a wider audience of influence targets and followers, people that you manage. And usually those people are in a position, most people want to do good stuff for the organization. They want to come to work, make a difference. They want to perform for you and please you with meeting your expectations and goals. And the other thing that happens is there's these perks that come with the position, right? So perhaps you get an office, you get a new title, you might get a bonus, you might get a company car. And those things introduce hazards into your personal decision-making and your ethical foundation. So what are your thoughts on on that and how you can mitigate those hazards? It is, it's very important to have people in your life who you can absolutely trust, uh, people who will give it to you straight uh, and not read you know, the headline and then repeat that back to you. Right. Uh, and so um, relevant relationships is a, a, a strength of a known good leader. And so when you have relevant relationships in your personal life as well as your professional life, then you you know have those people that can tell you, you know, hey, your weight band's getting a little tight, buddy. Right. Get some crunches in or, you know, get to this uh, keto style living or um, professionally speaking, um, if your uh, behavior begins to, you know, rattle a little bit, um, you know, you've got a professional, whether it be a mentor or a peer, uh, who can ride alongside you and, you know, let you know hey, your slip is showing. Uh, you need to kind of tighten some things up. 
Um, but the most effective way, uh, from my perspective is, is just that when it, when you want to, um, balance yourself out, I mean, your self-assessment will take you so far, but to have somebody who is, you know, from the outside looking in can tell you there are, uh, some shortfalls or some things that you're doing really well, continue to do those, um, things and you know, that balances out. So okay. I, I might have rambled there a little bit, Paul, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is have trusted agents within your inner circle who can talk to you very frankly about your performance and they can balance you out with conversation when it comes down to your personal life and the measure of, of perks and how you're treating people. Yeah. And back to, you know, one of the attributes of high personal power is humility and being open to that kind of feedback as, as uncomfortable right. as it may be, they're usually the right people are looking out for your best interest. So take that on board. Um, I would also know that there's a part of or offer there's a part of personal self-reflection, right? Pausing and thinking about your mm-hmm. own personal behaviors, right? Why are you asking for certain things, right? Um, these perks are given uh, for a reason, right? Usually they are tools that go with your positional power to make you more effective in that position. But when you start to think they're because it's about you, and I've mentioned right. the uh, coffee cup video before in an earlier episode. That's when you start getting yourself in a bad spot. So really taking time to reflect on, hey, what are my personal liabilities? What are my personal risks and hazards? And then putting thing controls in place, frankly, to mitigate that uh, is, is a big thing. And then once again, your expert power, staying knowledgeable of the policies and procedures that go with some of the thing, you know, some of those perks you're afforded in your position is important as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, yeah, a poet once said, you know, to thine own self be true. Uh, and so it is important that you know, we take time to uh, do those self-assessments, take time to even get to know ourselves uh, and, and evaluate, you know, why am I operating at this level? Uh, and then those things that are good. You turn up the volume. Uh, those things that uh, may be uh, lesser than what we, we want, then we tune those out, turn them off. Yes. Yeah. Let's get down to any last thoughts or recommended resources you got that you would offer the listeners, uh, books, articles, podcasts, or last points. You know, the uh, I, I mentioned earlier that, that readers are leaders. I mean that. Uh, I also mentioned, you know, three things that are really important to me. That's a lifestyle of learning, lifestyle of uh, wellness and fitness, and then treating people with dignity and respect. Um, I have learned that there are there's so much information out there. Uh, but I would like to share a couple of podcasts because uh, I, I like a good sound bite. You know, if I am on my way to the gym or on my way to the grocery store, whichever it may be, yep. uh, I, I like a good sound bite that kind of leaves me thinking uh, and one of my favorite podcasts is uh, the QOD the quote of the day by uh, I think the host's name is Sean Croxton okay um, it, they only last about 15 or so minutes but let me tell you what no matter the topic they choose that particular day last week was about finances it was <laughs> absolutely fantastic so Sean Croxton's QOD that is the quote of the day there's another podcast I really enjoy called one in four uh, one in four is a uh, podcast about returning citizens. Uh, the title actually, uh, one in four comes from uh, one in four American citizens has a uh, criminal record. Okay. Uh, and so the effort of that podcast is to reach the, the three that don't uh, and teach them and show them how to treat the one that does with the measure of uh, uh, equality uh, in 
Society. Uh, the host of that is uh, Kim Nicholson uh, and uh, Bea. I just can't re- I can't pronounce her last name, so I'm just going to skip her. Okay, um, but she's a great host. Um, the Talent Development Hot Seat by Andy Storch. That's another really cool uh, podcast and super helpful. Uh, and then the last uh, podcast I'll mention is the Torre Show. Um, another another cool podcast. That's T O U R hyphen E. Uh, and then three books that I'm reading right now, um, Deep is the Hunger by Howard, Howard Thurman. He was one of uh, Martin Luther King's uh, mentors. Um, I got my eye on Limitless uh, because I want to I want to live that limitless life. <laughs> yes. uh, ref- referring to the movie, uh, it's by John uh, Jim Quick about fast learning. And okay. then um, I also am reading. I might have mentioned this to you before uh, Designing Your Life uh, by uh, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, you know, three really good books that, uh, have got me leaning in on life and really enjoying it. All right. Thanks for that. Great, uh, great recommendations. And I'll put those in the episode description at the end. So, uh, cool. all right. My guest today again has been retired fleet mass chief Raymond Kemp. Raymond, thanks for spending some time to me and offering these insights. My all honor. Right. Absolutely. So for the audience, you know, time for self-reflection. So questions you could or should ask yourself, right, if you want to self-reflect and improve. Number one, just gauge what is the strength of my expert and personal power. could be on a scale of one to ten. You could go around and ask people, right, because this is important. This is from the perspective of your followers. Yeah, it's from the perspective of the people you work for as well. But if you get that 360-degree feedback about, hey, am I a person of character? Am I a person of competence? That can help you evaluate how well and how strong you are in those areas and then improve as well. And then the second thing I will offer is what am I doing to protect and invest in those power bases? So do I have that team that's around me, that team of truth tellers can help me uh, protect those two power bases and strengthen them? So hopefully uh, this one was insightful to you. Uh, Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Cutlass Podcast. If you want to learn more about the topic we've discussed today or in other episodes, as always, I've written about it in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide, and I'll list the resources we discussed today in the episode description. Uh, to provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at cutlessleadership at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Cutlass Leadership Podcast on your podcast channel, and then like, share, and comment so you can help me get this content out and about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Until next time, work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp, reflect and improve, and take what you've learned to become a sturdy, versatile, and credible leader who makes a positive difference. Mm-hmm.